Welcome to the Black Belt Podcast. I'm your host, Harinder Singh. Join me as I sit down with the greatest martial arts teachers, practitioners, and minds in the game. And together, we discover, explore, and learn from their knowledge, wisdom, and experiences. I'm on a quest to bridge the gap between sport, tradition, and reality. This is a martial arts lifestyle podcast. Come and flow with us. My guest this episode is Professor Nicolas Signac, who is a master of savat. He reached the finals of the French Cup in 1987 and won the title the following year. He was awarded the title of Professor from the Ministry of Sports in Savat and Boxing and holds a Silver Glove second degree, which is the highest Savat rank in the U.S. He's one of the leading promoters of the sport and has led U.S. teams to several world championships. Professor Sinyak has taught at the internationally famous Inosanto Academy and worked with martial arts legends such as Ron Bilicki, Eric Paulson, and Josh Barnett. He's been featured in many articles, documentaries, and training videos. This episode is all about getting the best out of yourself and those you work with. My key takeaway is that martial arts can and should be used as a vehicle for honest self-expression. We must not become rigid within the style or seek to copy our teachers. We must use the style, the training, and the sparring to find our own expression of our skills, especially under pressure. We dive deep into the history of Savat and the usage of the shoe as a weapon and how to excel at the highest levels of sport competition. We also discuss what it takes to become a great teacher and how to create champions inside and outside the ring. Tune in for another spectacular episode with one of the most humble and genuine masters of their craft. Welcome back to another episode of the Black Belt Podcast. I'm your host, Harinder Singh, and today I have a very special guest with me, Professor Nicola Sinyak. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Uh, uh, me too. Yeah, you know, every time I have a chance to talk about what I love uh, makes me happy. So, right. you know, being on the big stage and then uh, after having, you know, uh, meeting you um, a few weeks back and, and um, having this opportunity to share with you makes me happy. So it <laughs> makes me super happy, man. You know, I love Savat. It's been a big part of my development and and I can't wait to talk to you, pick your brain and and share Savat with the world. Because, uh, you know, I think if we start right in the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, for those who don't know Savat and maybe the differences, maybe we could start off a little bit with, um, I'd love to hear from you and the listeners, you know, the differences between Savat and maybe kickboxing, if you could paint a picture for us. So my interpretation, my, you know, version uh, of it is that, uh, you know, Savat developed as a uh, uh, street fighting um, art first, and then it became a street, um, like a self-defense um, art once it stopped being codified. The, the origin uh, go back um, to the 1800s, um, and by the mid 1800s, it was already, you know, codified and, and there were some gyms in, in Paris and, uh, you know, most of the big cities in France where they were developing this, um, those, those techniques wearing shoes, of course, uh, because that's where it was born. So it. You know, it had an evolution uh, and competition came definitely later. Um, it was like a point system uh, type of uh, decision in the ring at first, where 
you know, you would uh, a little bit like fencing. I think there's a lot of influence from fencing. That's the way I look at it. That's the way I kind of interpret um, history. Uh, there's nothing in the Sabbath, you know, books that say that, but I don't understand why. <laughs> you know, it's when you look, you know, at primary resources and, and you do history, there's things that you see and, and you're making interpretation of it. But you look at the food work, you look at the girl, you know, the hand being, you know, behind your back and, and, um, and this food work, those, you know, sliding uh, motion to move uh, straight forward. Um, there's so many similarities. And um, anyway, um, you know, it evolved as a uh, competition sport. I think the highlight was the 1924 uh, Paris Olympic Games, where it was a sport demonstration. Um, and there were some takedowns um, as well that were included um, in, um, in Sabat. And and it was a point system. So every time someone would score, you know, the ref would say touche, and then you know they would separate and and start again. Um, so it's not really until the nineteen sixty, the mid sixties, that uh, like the competition start uh, really being promoted in the ring with um, I would say much better use of the the hand uh, techniques, which uh, came from boxing uh not only because there used to be some you know slapping uh techniques but the the sport and you know the wear of the gloves for for training and competition didn't start until the 1820s and um straight from uh, english boxing yes sir so you know i think one of the things is that you know what you had mentioned earlier and we were talking about it offline is that you know savat developed as a um a street fighting system, a street self-defense system where you had mentioned, of course, the wearing of the shoes. And many times there was a, the usage of a cane and a very gentlemanly art. I, my uh, professor, Daniel Duby would tell me all the time, he's like, ah, you know, you have to look cool kicking his ass. You gotta, you gotta do it with some style. You have to do it with some flair. You know, you gotta, you gotta look good doing it. And, you know, and I, I, the, the lines, right. When you look at this art, it's such a beautiful, elegant art right it's a sophisticated elegant mm -hmm. art it's not a brutal um uh, exchange blows kind of art it's a get in get out it's like be like a cobra strike like lightning super relaxed super evasive um and you know the posture is upright and tell me a little bit about that you know the style behind savat you know so the style is actually what i think attracted me uh in first place because when i started i was not you know someone who uh, liked to exchange <laughs> and like contact and like being hit i mean i i didn't have the um, you know the aggressiveness that i later developed that was necessary to compete um you know at the, at the um, uh, high level so the study comes from really the, the technical description of the kicks which were under charlemont who was not the first one, but I think it was the master and probably the one who did the best job at describing um, physically what the kicks should be and how they should be executed. So the leg has to be extended uh, fully, and and the you know the, the shoe is being used as the weapon. And if you look at the shoe, you know that's different palm, and the one that do the most damage are the one where you use the the edge of the sole. So. The edge of the heel on the edge you know the outside edge inside edge and then the toes uh being you know protected which um 
um, you know, when you use uh, chambering motion, I, I think it's it's sometimes uh, you know a turnoff for for people because they they want to use uh, momentum to create mm-hmm. power. But power can come from so many different sources, and you know, speed is power as well. So one you bring you know a kick in this chambering position that allows you to have a little bit more control um, of the target the weapon that you that you use that you decide to use um, and also allows you to quickly change you know lines and then trajectories and um, and and levels as well so that is the one thing I think that that attracted me the most is trying to trick you open in, in as many ways <laughs> possible so they'll never know what it is that you're going to pull uh, out. I love that. I love that. You know the the elusiveness and and hiding the the kicks behind the punches and the chambering mm-hmm. behind. So you know that elusiveness that you said, the tricking, uh, is such a big part of it because it's it's you're you're in there in a savat match and you're playing chess, right? You're 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 setting them up. And you're playing a game of chess yeah. with people. Um, t- tell me, tell me about. Um, a little bit about the mechanics just it's hard for people to understand but i i want i want them to get a clear picture of because what you had mentioned earlier you have a shoe it's like a sword you have the tip and you have the two inside edge and the outside edge and then and you also have the heel that changes um that you don't need that like you know you, you have a hammer on the end of your foot right and so it changes so you're not you're not having to chamber up and swing like a baseball bat and that completely changes the whole game um, and and the training methods behind it must you know will be very different as well. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I like the analogy of you know having a hammer. It's like you, you don't need to swing your arm uh, really hard. I mean, for the boxing, it's obviously a little bit different because uh, it's the, the mechanical principle coming from English boxing, and you apply the same one. However, uh, it's you can. Um, so let, let me you know let me make sure that answer your question first about the kicks and then we can talk about the transition with uh, the punches and how it looks a little bit different than uh, in other kickboxing uh, form. So for the kicks, um, it's because you're using that weapon and you can project that weapon, uh, It's and and you want to be able to change and, and really penetrate in some much smaller target areas, you have to you have to develop a much better control than you would, you know, with the Muay Thai kick. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, Thai boxers are not accurate when they strike. It's, you know, when you get hit in the back of the net with power, then you go down for sure. But uh, what I'm talking about is that, you know, there's so many different target area in the head that you can use with your shoe. Like, you know, Fuete, for example, yeah, you would bring it, you know, like typically to the side of the head. Uh, but with Savage shoes, you can you know, pinpoint like so many different uh, targets. So, I mean, the nose, eyes, uh, temple, um, you know, mouth, jaw, um, you can use all of those, you know, same thing with the neck. Uh, You can, what the food allows you to do uh, because it's protected and that's what people need to understand. Like you cannot think that, you know, striking with your toes, if your toes are not protected, it's going to be efficient. It might be efficient in breaking your toes more than anything. (laughs) Never a good idea. But, um, you know, a girl like this, then, yeah, you can, you know, put your toes behind, uh, you know, the girl, uh, below the girl. And, and same thing, you know, with the body. Like, there's so much room when you 
traveling and you just you know stabbing your toes in um you know below the elbows behind the elbows between the elbows that um until i think people get a feel of what it's like yeah us to be hit by the toes you know well covered with the shoes and then once they start using the sh- shoes to strike with it's very difficult to understand how it can be efficient and I, I and I, I get it. I mean, you know, people look at it. It's like, well, yeah, it's it's nice. It's elegant. It's you know, it's aesthetically nice, uh, but it's not efficient. I'm sorry. It is. <laughs> it is. But it's the way techniques are delivered is again um, different. That doesn't mean that um, you know my. I wouldn't say my favorite kick, but my really what I based my fighting game mm. on was a low round kick to the leg from the back leg that's you know that's something that allowed me to like kind of condition my game uh, getting confident and then start uh you know once you once you hit a couple times and you know you know you're doing some damage then you can start faking and, and doing other things so you know faking low going high faking the round to go to your psychic uh chasse or you know faking the low to come back or faking the low to you know fire a spinning kick or faking the low to punch first <laughs> i mean those all of those things are are possible and so it's like i think before people put a judgment on something it's important for them to have a like greater understanding of really what it is and really you know Sabat is is now that's developed with the shoe. So try the shoe, see what it does to you. Um, you know, before you uh, you bring a judgment. Uh no, hundred percent. And you you get kicked with a toe in your liver. Um, you're yeah. gonna feel it. You get it in your solar plexus. You you get it in your kidney. Yeah. I mean, so many you times know. I think that, you, that that round kick comes right around the guard and goes back yeah. into your kidney. It's the last thing. I think the other thing too is that it's it's like you said, stabbing. You're being stabbed with the toe. You get kicked in the ankle, really low, right in the ankle, you know, and, and those those things hurt a lot. But people, it's very unexpected for people because they're, I think the other thing too is that the trajectory is is not the same trajectory that you would normally Absolutely. experience. Yeah. Um, and, and, and nothing is real. So everything is a lie. You're playing, you're playing, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> I, I like that. You're playing a lying game. <laughs> Right. And, and because that's been my experience, like, oh, you don't know what's happening. And, and, um, and then it gets the person to tense up. And, and so that's the next thing I wanted to ask you about speed, right? Because, uh, speed and relaxation. Tell me about speed development and how important the role of relaxation is in it. So, um, what I like to talk about first is the relaxation. Um, so, you know, I have background, you know, I, I had a chance to go to school when I came to this country. Uh, I didn't do a very good job when I was in France, but I was very interested in, you know, first learning the language and, and learning attribute that would help me in my teaching and, you know, the coaching, because I was you know, very interested in working with, uh, with fighters and, and really try to pull the best out of them. And relaxation is something that really, really always uh, I found very attractive and of course I had models I had models that uh, were uh very influential uh in in my training in my approach uh and in the goals that I set to myself so you know to give you some example when you when you look at uh Bjorn Wallace you can see how 
<laughs> you know, it's, it's fun like how effective it is and how relaxed he looks when he's firing those, you know, double hook kick, round kick, or double round kick, or like, so relaxation to me is probably the biggest factor of performance. Mm. Because I feel like this is really only when you had when you are at your maximum level of relaxation that you can actually focus on what you need to focus on. Mm. And uh, you want the focus to be as narrow as possible, mm. but you don't want attention to take over everything else. So that's why I think with, you know, when you, when you grow into the game and, and you build that confidence that allows you to look relaxed and to have like a muscular relaxation that allows you to really give the best uh, of you. It's um, the relaxation, I think, allows you to have a much greater outlook at the confrontation. And you can make the analogy with people that always look great in the gym and can take that skill mm. to the stage. Yes, uh, and that's because there's... There's, you know, something, some barriers that some walls that, you know, fighters can break that uh, get in the way of them performing to the best. Like they perform the best in a very comfortable environment. Uh, they, you know, they can be, they can be creative. They, they look relaxed. They look in complete control. And then all of a sudden that disappear because, because whatever, because, you know, some kind of pressure that you put on yourself, some kind of tension um, in your mind first. And that translates into, the way your body reacts and expresses itself. So, I love that. I love that. How do you how do you help the fighters you work with to relax? It's building confidence. I think it's it's no matter what is having this confidence. So first, I would say um, in developing the weapons that work for them, and then finding a way to keep uh, staying away from looking at people and and thinking that uh you know what they do is not going to work it's so building pieces and and uh putting them in situations in the gym where they're going to work out the frustration that mm -hmm. you know they that might be created because they do something that they're not comfortable doing um so it's um it's again like building this level of confidence that will allow you to be relaxed when you need to be. And you know, relaxation when we talk about speed, like you know, when I like the models that I have, uh, you know, I mean Bruce Lee, of course, uh, boxing a lot, a lot of boxers. Like when you look at a Sugar Ray and when he, you know, he's firing those series, you know that he's not thinking about putting, you know, an uppercut after a hook and. <laughs> Like it's it's just like a free, or it seems like a free expression of uh, you know whatever he lets out, and he just let things out. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That just lets things out. Because you know that leads me. You mentioned two things in there, Bruce Lee, and and I want to come back to Bruce Lee. But you know about letting things out. You know you fought at the highest levels and competed at the highest levels, and you also have trained many fighters that fight professionally uh, across the board in many different combat sports and in the preparation. So, you know, relaxation is important, but that letting that out, right. That yeah. I want, I want it, that, that making the art yourself, like, like that honest expression of the self. Exactly. Right? Tell, tell me about how important that is. Number one. And then number two, 
How do we help people get to that? Um, so important, um, it's, you know, I was talking to, uh, to a friend of mine, Chad George, who is, uh, you know, he has, he has great, uh, MMA gym and, and I saw him grow, you know, like 25 years ago when he, when MMA was, you know, starting to be structured and you had a few organization. Um, and I talked to him a few weeks back and, um, and I was asking him the questions like, why is it that, you know, you have so many fighters and they all look different. And so he told me, you know, it's, we're all martial artists. In martial artists, like don't forget that there's the work, the world artist. Yes. And art and and finding ways to express yourself. And so you want to, you know, create that venue in the training where you take the best attribute of people and to you know perfect that to a point where they're not second guessing themselves to use those tools uh, to express themselves and then you slowly build you know pieces that they miss but you, you really start with the positive first because that's the only way you're going to build confidence and and um if there's no confidence then relaxation doesn't mean mm-hmm. really much uh, so um i think you build it like every single day but just reinforcing the positive and you keep doing it. And then um, I think, um, and I'm not sure, uh, but I, you know, I when I started boxing, the um, the instructor, the, the, the teacher, the, the mentor seemed to be like the opposite of that. Like, no, this is not right. No, you got to change this. You got to change that. And it's like, uh, I think there's, there has to be a better approach. <laughs> Than just you know like going out of the gym and knowing that you've been working for a job for an hour and you still don't get it. It's there's so many more ways to so many better ways to me to make people you know building confidence and still having the desire to perfect something and a technique and then finding ways to put this technique together with other things and and uh, so reinforcing the positive. And but without fooling people, you know, it's like you, you can when you when you teach your first lesson, you, you can you know tell the guy that you know is going to be a world champion, you know, and if he keeps working like this for ten years, no, it, it's like you you don't want to <laughs> lie in that conversation with the people that you train. Uh, but again, it's just you know keep building from the positive. It is so much uh, greater. It makes people feel better about themselves and i think it entertain and develop like a stronger motivation to be better i love that i love that you know because one of the things as you mentioned that ends up happening is that sometimes in martial arts you know you you start off learning a martial art right you start off learning a style and then you have your teachers in the style that you look up to and then maybe their teachers and their teachers teachers and, and yeah. you have this image of what it's supposed to look like yeah. and then you spend all this time trying to imitate this image of what it's supposed to look like yeah um but but never finding a moment where it's like okay I, I can see how they do it. And these are the principles. These are the mechanics. Uh, this is the weight transfers, the shifts and, and, and break it down that way. There's the spirit behind it. But I think one of the traps and even for the listeners listening, I'm sure you'll agree with me is that we can't get stuck in a style 
that binds us because we are looking and trying to copy uh, our teachers, right? Because we, like you said earlier, I think when we stop and look at it, there's no two snowflakes that look the same. There's no two humans that are the same. Yeah. But we don't find we don't find who we are, and and that's the part you were saying. Let it out. You can't let it out until you know who you are. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I feel very fortunate that I had, um, you know, a coach, um, it's more than a coach, <laughs> definitely a teacher's teacher, um, who understood how to take the best out of people. Mm. Um, and uh, who was very open-minded in terms of, you know, go go try boxing like you know he he used to give us the opportunity to train in in thai boxing as well and to go to taekwondo places and and you know it's really fine ways to um whatever you you learn at the gym like perfect it and and maybe finding a different approach to to make it work um and um and that was amazing to me and and you know i realized uh that uh this expression uh like the best way for me to work on it was shadow boxing mm. because shadow boxing there's no limit there's no constraint there's no problem of of you know defense or, or you know you can make the adjustment you want and that's really when you do the things that uh, you don't really have to think about but you, you can work specifically on you know working combinations and putting them together and one after another but it's it's really the only time where it's complete free expression mm-hmm. because there's no limits um and like being able to do things when you shadow box it's then you want to you know, take out some of those pieces, like build the confidence to do it, and then try to apply them with opposition, which is, you know, a much higher level of, of uh, I think, uh, skill. Um, but um, if you can do something in shadow boxing, then you have to find a way to, you know, express it against somebody else. <laughs> and it's it, what I like, uh, you know, about shadow boxing. Um, well, actually, my uh, my coach uh, used to say uh, he, used, he didn't used to call it shadow boxing because you know like people don't necessarily have like a clear understanding of what shadow boxing is when you're in French speaking country. And you know, thirty years ago, before I left, like people didn't speak like a couple languages. I mean, so uh, and he called that fight simulation, mm. and that struck with me. I like like that. Like yeah, it it really did, uh, um, because that's what it is. Like you're making mental images in your head, and you're working sequences, and you can repeat them without having to worry about doing something wrong. I like that, and that's like that. really how you know you, you you find a way to express yourself. However, in shadow boxing, you really have if you want to call this fight simulation, mm-hmm. you have to simulate this, and you have to mentally and visually see what you do when you do and really include that defensive part of the game that has to be there because if you're only working combination in offense then half of the game is not there you're not working on it but you can work on the defense um so i've you know i try to i try to like open my mind to you know, different methods. And uh, I was uh, watching a documentary a few years back 
about this uh, judo guy, this French judo guy, you know, as proud Frenchman <laughs> who likes sports. Like we like people who are doing exceptionally well. So, you know, it can be soccer, but in judo, like we have this guy, Teddy Reiner, who won uh, 11 world titles, uh, you know, like three Olympic gold medals. Uh, is still fighting. However, is like 36 or something, which is very old to compete at the highest level for most people. But the way he's managing his career and deal with injuries and use his time efficiently when he's injured, where he cannot work with other partner and how he's using this mental imagery techniques and fight simulations and how that's such an important part of his training. And like, you know, two or three months out of, you know, uh, the competition season uh, is amazing, and and he's not competing as much as he used to because yes. he wants to manage his body. So that's you know big, very important part of his uh, of his training. No, I, I love how you broke that down. You know, when when we look at and ask high performers, you say they always tell you ninety percent is mindset, and when yeah. you, and and yeah. the mental aspect, the visualization aspect. So then I always wonder the question that people should ask themselves is that 90% of the success is mindset, how much time, effort, energy is actually being worked on the mindset? You, 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 you know, you, um, you hit it, uh, you hit the point. And that's the thing that's important is, you know, the time you spend at the gym is great. There's no question. You have, you have someone that guides you and, and you're getting, you know, what you need in terms of learning. And it's, uh, it's super important, but you have to understand that it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. There's so much more you can do, uh, because you spend so much time by yourself and, you know, to be, um, really at, at the top of the game in, in at any level of performance, uh, you take music, you take, uh, you know, art, painting, whatever it is. It's think about how much time those people spend on their own working on this skill. Because what you see, like the performance is like, you know, a small window of the amount of work that it took to, to get there. So if, you know, 90% uh, of the game is mental, and you have to spend 90% of the time <laughs> working on this mental aspect, which is you know, much harder to do than to think or to say. Um, it's you have to use your time the best you can. So that means that, you know, when you by yourself, you know, like people daydreaming, well, you can be daydreaming working on your skills. Yeah. Like you can visualize the technique, you can visualize that. the yeah. defensive technique, you know, it's like seeing someone, you know, firing a jab and then, you know, what does it take to, for me to get away from it? So you can break it down, you can slow it down. I think slowing down in your mind is probably the best way to really understand all those pieces mm -hmm. that make a technique what it is. Like, where does it start? What do I do next? Mm -hmm. And then executing those, you know, physically, and really breaking it down and slow it down because from the understanding of that technique, from the, the connection that you're making at, you know, at the cellular level and, and, you know, from, from, you know, one muscle to the next, um, it's, that's really what it's going to take for you to understand it. And it's, it's not always easy to verbalize this, but to internalize it mm. is like, to me, like 
really what like it, it's going to take more time than the time you you spend at the gym hey hey hey! what's up everybody check out blackbeltmag.com for new interviews articles and tutorials from masters champions and celebrities we're focusing on your favorite topics like traditional martial arts entertainment combat sports and self-defense also this is your place to access premium content including high-level articles ad-free entertainment and the entire digitized catalog of black belt magazine issues from 1961 to the present visit blackbeltmag.com today i love it man you know you're you, there was a rule when i was you know still to this day um i'm not sure if it came from guru dan but um my teacher would talk about it and then and, and I obsessed about it quite a bit. And when you stop and you take a look at Bruce Lee, how much time he spent by himself, Miyamoto Musashi, Kobe Bryant, you look at like the modern yeah. basketball, uh, yeah. um, what's your name? Steph Curry. So there, there was an interesting statistic I saw about Steph Curry that Steph Curry, uh, for those who don't know, the, uh, the star point guard of the Golden State Warriors, okay, um, he'd take 500 shots a day by himself. And so the numbers, I did the math. And so he's been a professional for 16 years, I think. Okay. And so if he took 100 shots a day for 16 years, the number comes out to like 2.98 million shots. Okay. Now here's the crazy part. Ready? In all the professional games he's played, he's only, in 16-year career, he has only taken 15,000 shots. Wow. <laughs> that that so that becomes a ratio of 0.05% in real versus what he practiced. And when you take a look at a number like that, right? It's insane. That's what data is so important. So I work in education. Okay. I'm a, I'm a third grade teacher. Uh I've, I haven't always been a third grade teacher. I like to change and, and learn, you know, different grade, different ages, different needs, different ways of, of you know, communicating with, with the students. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, it's insane. And it's data driven. It's like you have a number that is so telling. So it's like people, you want to be at the top. This is what you need to do. <laughs> like you have to keep, you know, million times to perfect that technique and, and make it work. And that million times is outside of practice with another individual. I think that's, that the, that's the part, right? That's the part because we, we all will go to practice. Uh -huh, we'll absolutely. all go train. And yeah. um, so the, the ratio was like a nine to one where it was like, okay, if you have one hour of training with a partner, you spend nine hours of training by yourself. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, something that I was like, okay, I like, I'm numbers. I'm a, once upon a time, I was a computer and electrical engineer. So well, yeah, numbers, that's the field. <laughs> and data and numbers make sense, right? Because then numbers unfold over time. And, and I think really like the best martial artists, and we've all seen them in our lives, our teachers or people that we've been around that, that's what makes the difference. You know, talent, you've got certain people who are gifted and talented, but yeah. what that means is they just get there a little bit faster. Exactly. But, faster and sooner. Yeah. Yeah. But we can all get there. And I think that's Absolutely. the beautiful part. I truly believe this. About I martial arts. Yeah. 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 And I've seen that, um, you know, with my coach, um, you know, at the time I was competing, uh, mm -hmm. you know, people that were really, really struggling with this part of, you know, like mm -hmm. not being able to express themselves in the ring. And over time, you know, it's it's those people got the title that I thought they were not going to get because I was afraid they were going to quit before 
they had that chance to really take the skills to the highest uh, level. So it is possible. It is possible. It's a matter of how much do you want it? Ah, that's it. How much do you want it? What And what is the price you're willing to pay? Exactly. Exactly. Because you go to the gym, of course, like, you know, that's where your buddies are. It's, it's you know, you have a great time before, during, after. That's awesome. That's what we do, what we do. But if you want to take it to another level, if you want to, uh, you know, progress faster than other people, then you're going to have to show that you have to do something else. You have to do more. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you can take example. I think Kobe Bryant is a great example. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, whether you like his, his attitude and, and his, uh, personality or not, uh, in terms of skills and the way he managed his career and how, you know, involved he was with his training. Like, I remember a documentary where he was saying, you know, he's driving in his car and he has a guy filming and it's, he's saying, you know, it's, it's 3.30 in the morning. I'm going to go run right now because I know. The guy that I'm fighting is not doing that. And when I fight this guy, I have this confidence, this edge, knowing that I've done things that he's not able to do, that he's not doing. And, you know, in the moments where, you know, things are tough, <laughs> then that comes back. This belief that you've done, you know, everything you had to do to be on top of the other guy. It's like doubt comes when you don't have that confidence mm. it's like i've never been there i don't know how i'm going to do yeah well and, and you know do i have what it takes well and if you say no <laughs> clearly it's not <laughs> um so yeah this work is you know it's important i it's i i like to listen to like top athletes uh um you know uh adam uh arnold uh no, what's his name? The 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 rock climber, the uh, the solo climber. I forget his name. Uh, did, did they do the documentary? Alex, Alex, uh, Alex Honnold, okay. um, where is uh, you know again? It's not the time he spent on the rock; it's the time he spends outside of the rock that is going to give him the tools to know and to visualize like a series of you know like like I don't know like fifteen hundred different moves. That he can put out at any time, that you know he is prepared for the fight of his life. Because if he misses one, then that's it. It's done. Yeah. Like there's no there's no missing in our yeah. climbing when you free climb. Uh, so you really want to put you know all those tools and have them in your basket to be able to pull them out. Because if you don't add them, at the, you know the day um, you're supposed to, then you're in trouble. Yes, sir. And fighting is a tough game. It's very tough. Very you tough. Can't have enough day. <laughs> it's just too much damage is being done. It's like you you can you can play with that. You know, people are not meant to be hit in the head. I don't care what people think. <laughs> it's like the brain is not supposed to take that kind of shot. Um, so, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I I want to ask you. You know building on our conversation here is so many times if we look at for me when i when i look at in martial arts um there's a study of myself but it's a study of myself in an interaction with another individual there's a relationship so it's yeah. truly like a study of a relationship and there's a mm -hmm. study of a joining and a following and um how can i get myself out of the way 
so that I could join with my opponents, see what they see. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, about the importance of being able to read your opponent and being able to follow your opponent and how important that is versus, oh, you know, I'm going to do my style. I'm going to overpower them. I'm going to do me and stop them from doing them versus this relationship. I really like that. And, you know, that that made me think of, um, you know, the way I started Sabat, there's a lot of collaboration in the first part of the training. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, you know, light control, like understanding the mechanics and going through the mechanics allow you to have this relationship with uh, with the guy that you're working with. And the guy that you're working with then um you you again like you you creating and building those pieces that will allow you to you know take this care like and figure out what you know the other person is doing and then um and then this guy becomes your opponent but what i like when i came here um i think it opened my mind to so many different arts that i was not exposed to when i was in france and definitely changed the way i approach uh, you know training and teaching of course i mean my teaching has completely I would say completely changed from what it was 30 years ago. And it should, because that's that's evolving. But um the way people in Capoeira work with each other mm. is a moral that I think is very, very important to have like to, or to make room for at the gym. Even yes, though sir. it's reduced part of opposition, you have to understand that you're working with someone, not yes, against sir. someone in the gym. Like this against is something that's going to come at the high level when you get ready to compete, but you have to build, you know, this, and that, that, you know, it's going back to being confident and being relaxed enough to, um, you know, see what's coming and predict what's coming because you're able to process information better because that's really what it is. It's, it's, it's a game of uh, a quick game. Um, and that's what, you know, I think, uh, like I, I work in education. When I tell them I do kickboxing and boxing, they're like, "Why are you doing this? It's like you know, it's a barbarian sport. Like, what's in there for you?" I'm like, "You don't understand. Like, you don't understand how um, intellectually you so quickly processing information that are going to make a difference whether you get knocked out or not." So to me, it's the highest level of. Uh, uh, intellectual processing, like visual processing or auditory processing or, you know, however else, like, you know, sometimes you don't see things, but you feel them, like, you know, and so you're really entrenched with yourself and, and uh, as many of your senses as possible, some of those you want to shut down, like, you know, the outside noises and, and all of this, so you can focus on what you see and what you feel, like what you feel, I think is as important. Because like, I'm really wondering if at the speed of each action, which we're talking about milliseconds, like a punch and a kick, like you, you don't, you, you can't quantify this. You cannot take, you know, your, your timer and, mm. you know, figure out how long it takes for a kick to come to your head. So that means that when you see, when you have this perception, uh, is the perception of the key being, you know, like uh, chambered? Uh, is it quick enough to, you know, prepare your defense? Maybe there's, you know, there, there's something more that makes you predict that this, you know, technique is going to come. So 
be in tune, like developing, you know, as many of the senses as possible and being in tune with them is to me, like, again, the way you can express yourself um, best. No, I love that being in tune because it's so important because that's also going to teach us how to be in tune with other people in our lives. It's yeah. going to teach us to connect, right? With, 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 with my, like, you know, I, I learned how to connect to my kids and my wife through learning how to connect to my opponents. I wasn't good at that before, you yeah. know? And and I think it, it really teaches you about the relationship. And and I love what you said about in tune. Um, my, my Taiji teacher would say, okay, there's two volumes, right? There's the tuning knob and there's the volume knob. And many times people mess with the volume knob. They say, oh, let's work harder. Let's do yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, but if you're not on the right channel, then there's going to be fuzz. And if yeah. there's fuzz and you turn the fuzz up, what happens? You can be like, oh, shit, I don't want to hear that anymore. So instead, find the right channel, get in tune with yourself and other people. And then you'll realize you can turn the volume down and save energy. So I like how you said that. Yeah, I really love this analogy. I think that's... Uh... I think I'm gonna use it. <laughs> oh, you must, you must, you know. I, I, yeah, you know, it's I, too, it's too beautiful, and and uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like that very, very much, absolutely. And it's like you, you talk about this, this channel. Like you want to find this place with the person that you're working with, and and I think people are really have to understand that sparring is working with people. It's not working against each other. Like I it's, love that. So you, you're gonna receive what you what you give. Um, and if it's, if it's too hard, if you don't respect the parameters that are set, then, you know, something is not going to go right. And, you know, like this balance that you find is not there anymore. So, you know, hopefully, obviously it's not going to work for, uh, for both. So it's working with people like in the gym, like don't work against people. You express your skills, but you give them a chance to express them. That doesn't mean that you let them, you know, hit you or, or uh, but you want people to express yourself to be the best they can be. So you can work on your skills even better. Yes, sir. It's yes, sir. if people are not giving you the best, then I would say this is not the best person for you to work with. Like you're wasting your time. Uh, and but that doesn't mean that you know you have to eat hard uh, and you have to try to hurt the other person. No, it's it's about you know finding ways to deliver those techniques in a timely manner. And this time factor is yes, know, very 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 precise. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I, I love that. I, I want to switch gears a little bit and uh, talk to you talk a little bit about the history. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you could give me a little bit, so you know. Um, of course, I mentioned to you, and for those who don't know, I, I trained with Professor Daniel Duby Deliver in, in Reunion Island in Savat and um, with my old Jeet Kune Do teacher, how important it was in the development of Jeet Kune Do uh, and, and its influence on Bruce Lee. But before we get to Bruce Lee and its influence on him, I'd love for you to share a little bit about the, the history of it coming from like Charlemagne to, and then of course, there's a, a, a character in history that I'd love to hear, hear more from because I've only heard legends about him is... Uh, Count Pierre Beruzzi. So, oh, if you could. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the history, you know, I think um, people get a 
pretty good idea of you know the fact that it, it really developed in the late 1800s um it started like uh, boxing techniques and uh, gloves were incorporated in 1820s um i think le boucher was you know the first um, one for people who want translation from those name le boucher means the butcher and uh, and then Charlemagne. So Charlemagne, uh, you know, the dad and and the son, the son uh, wrote his treaty. That's I think that's the one that's the most famous in eighteen seventy seven. And you have full description of all the savat techniques, um, you know, at the time, and that includes you know uh, can and baton. So the stick fighting, like the short stick, and then the, the longer the the staff one. Um, so it, it was, I mean, it's been codified for, you know, over like a century and a half, almost two centuries. Um, so it's all like the origin are in street fighting. This, those, those guys, Charlemagne, like basically took those techniques and, and uh, figure out how they were executed and what it was that was working and then, you know, put them together into like a training methods, uh, basically. And so somebody, you know, developed um, over time. Um, I think the, you know, I mentioned that uh, 1924 was really like the big uh, date because it was uh, in the Paris Olympic. And um, in the early 1900, Con Barzi was uh, one of those guys that was competing uh, and beating everybody. Like he, I think he, he was like, he had title in every single weight classes and there was only five weight classes, but still <laughs> pretty amazing because he's not a big guy. Um, and, um, and he's been like the, the, the Savat figure and really the transition, you know, between modern Savat and the old style. Uh, and he was always, always present at uh, the final of the French championships. Like he was, you know, going into the ring and, and delivering the, the trophy to the, to the winner. And up, up until his 19 is, yeah. Like, I think the last time I saw it was 91. It was still a water fire with it, you know, in the air, but uh, you know, like 91. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you know a lot of people like, fire. <laughs> But, um, you know, typical French Sabbath guy, like big mustache, <laughs> you know, very classy, um, always like uh, super nicely dressed, uh, but like like a very, very long fighting career. Um, again, like not shying away from challenges and, and like pushing himself to, um, to fight in different weight classes and to win in different weight classes, which is, well, I, I don't know, I'm, you know. I'm happy that I was fighting in weight class where I was taller than <laughs> people. And but like going up, you don't know. It's uncharted territories. Uh, but he was not afraid of that. He, he traveled. He actually came to uh, to the U.S. Uh, in the early '80s. Um, you know, the French Federation had a lot of exchanges with um, with the U.S. Um, and really in two places, uh, Chicago at uh, Fred Degerberg Academy and then uh, Innocentor Academy down in uh, Marina del Rey at the time. And uh, and he came one year, uh, Fred Degerberg really wanted to have him, you know, at his gym. It was uh, because he loved Savat and he still does. Um, and so he came, he was part of the, you know, the delegation that came and, and you know, for him, um, you know, reaching out to the U.S. and trying to develop, uh, you know, seven in the U.S. was was very important because he's, 
is always wanting to people to understand how um, you know that people could benefit from from the style. That's awesome. You know, I've, I've, I've only heard legends of him from, because uh, he also helped um, Professor Daniel Duby mm-hmm, as well yeah. in his career and stuff like that. And so it was always about, you know, Count Beruzzi and you hear the name, oh, Count Beruzzi, you know, it's like <laughs> a mythical figure almost. You know, I mean, I, I remember, st- you know, like sitting in the stand and and uh, and that's what people were saying, oh, Count Beruzzi. <laughs> and so every time he was coming into the ring, I you was know, like, yeah. <laughs> Because it's, it's like the flame, like the 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 flag, uh, you know, of of what Savat uh, was at the time. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, it's it's just bridging those different eras was something that was important, particularly because you know Savat was changing. Like it was not what you would see in the ring. Really, didn't have very much to do with what it used to be. Um, so I wouldn't say a turnaround, but definitely. Um, you know, different direction and becoming a more, to me, more complete kickboxing style with his specificities of, of techniques and weapons to use and, and you know, the leg being extended when you uh, when you kick and, and all those attributes, but uh, different game altogether. So and becoming more of a game of, you know, combination and strategy and, and use of the space in the ring and, uh, you know, and mastering the center or you know, using the ropes, using the corners. I mean, you know, everything you can think about uh, that um, to make uh, to make your technique work better within a specific um, space. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, it's, it's definitely such a beautiful, elegant, devastating art to 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 watch and appreciate. You know, especially when when you look on the street aspects of taking the heel and ripping the kneecaps off, and, and the different. You know, like you said, the different. Um, styles of, of becoming more box francais now versus mm-hmm. uh, the street and how you can see it uh, evolve and things of that nature you know you 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 um uh you have an opportunity um to train and teach and i think probably the most famous martial arts academy in the world uh, one of the most progressive martial arts academies that's you know like you had mentioned guru dan and asano the asano academy bringing the, the different martial artists from different styles and helping promote them, not only learn, you know, that Jeet Kune Do attitude of bring it in, let's learn, yeah. let's, and then, and then spread to the world. I, I really think that it's a, it's such a, a mecca of martial arts, not just from the gathering of people from the masters from the different styles, but also a place to then shine this light to the rest of the world. I mean, like, Hey, look over here, look at this. Maybe you like this, maybe you like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit about because you you teach over there, and um, and some of your your uh, discussions with Guru Dan. Maybe if you could like to share about Bruce Lee's thoughts on on Savat, and and uh, you know, I'd love to hear from you about that. Absolutely. Um, what to start off? I mean, I I like what you how you 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 put it. Like this word progressive is very important to me. Um, because that means that, um, you know, if you're making progress, you're, you're learning and you're learning more. And so, uh, gurus and, and, you know, Bruce Lee philosophies was to, well, I mean, Bruce Lee was, you know, amazing in the sense that he was, um, you know, coming from a very, uh, strict background 
And, you know, when he came here, just, you know, being open and, and researching different style and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. But there's always this idea of what works and what I hear from Guru, Dan, that it's what works for you and what mm-hmm. works for you when and where. Because you know, it's it's it like the situation is always different. And so being able to adapt um, and this idea of, you know, learning and progressing, you know, and taking what, you know, fits you is uh, something that's that was very, very appealing to me. Um, and this idea that, you know, martial arts is not like a small window of, you know, things that you do, which I feel might be one of the reasons why the Savat is not, you know, expanding as much as I would like to see it. Um, mm-hmm. It's because I, I feel like the teaching is too catered to one, like a small window of, of people and that they're pushing this world, which is not for, for everybody. Uh, but um, it's listening to Guru's story about how, um, you know, Bruce Lee uh, came to find out about Savat through eight millimeter black and white movie. You know, with people wearing street clothes and, you know, working what we used to call the four faces. So forward, backward, and then, you know, uh, left and right. And that was it. Like, that was the only type of movement. But uh, what really, I think, um, um, was attractive to him was the use of the front leg. And those, uh, those steps to prepare and reach, you know, and, and gain the distance to deliver the kicks. So, um, you know, to the point where, you know, Guru, every every now and then, when he talks about Sabbat, when he talks about, you know, environment, when he talks about, um, you know, it's, it's you know, if, if it's if there's a street fight, do you want to go on the ground? You know, if there's, you know, a couple of different opponents, like, do you want to turn you back and, you know, take someone down? Um, is it really, you know, the best, strategy for you to um, to get out of uh, that so anyway it, you know he, he likes to break it down and what he was saying about uh sabbat was the fact that you know it's it's in most situation and when you're outside you wear shoes so yeah. for bruce lee it was very important to not for him because he was feeling very strong about it but for people to understand uh what it was like to use the shoes to kick with and what it felt like to be kicked with the shoes. So he had actually shoes being manufactured uh, and um, with uh, the sole made out of, you know, thick leather that, you know, doesn't, uh, uh, it doesn't bend very much. It's very rigid. And so this rigidity is really what brings, um, you know, the foot to be protected. And so using those different uh, palms was really what he wanted people to understand. Um, and so, you know, he went as far as, as designing material, designing shoes, designing, you know, things like training uh, tools to to keep exploring and, and um, to have a better understanding of what could be working for, for him and for others. But without saying that, you know, it's you have to do this, and you have to do that. It's having people being exposed and you know finding really their their way again. It's it's like it's you know sending me back to uh, what uh, Chad Charles was saying. It's 
martial artists, like don't forget the world art and artists, like people making art with, you know, techniques that they they learn and they they, they can put together in in different ways. So this this opening to uh, all those uh, stars is you know is really what it meant. And I know for me it, it was like a eye opener because I never thought that way. Um, you know, it's I was limited to um, to Savat, open a little bit to boxing, you know, tight boxing, taekwondo, but I didn't know anything else. Um, so it's having the chance. So I I used to teach there, uh, and it was in the in the mid nineties uh, to until the the two thousand. It was a fantastic period because you had this group of people that were trying things, you know, and and still, uh, and 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 still to this day, yeah, you have you know a bunch of people that keep you know trying things. But at that time, uh, you know, for the one of you who know uh, Ron Baliki and Eric Paulson, uh, you know, Burton Richardson was there um, in the class that I was teaching with Chad Stahelski. Um, it's like it was like basically like a, a fighting training lab. For us, like Chad uh, Stahelski didn't want it to be called a class. It just wanted to be like a place where we just use drill for people who want to get ready to fight, whether they want to fight or not. It doesn't matter. Uh, but it's you know working uh, different pieces of equipment and and using the ring and and a, almost everything being sparring based and working with people of this caliber makes everybody better. <laughs> I love that. Innovators lead and the rest fall in line. When you're looking for martial arts gear, you want it made by someone who respects tradition but isn't afraid to push the boundaries. That's why I go with Century Martial Arts. The guys who brought you Bob, yes, that's right, Bob, the grim-faced opponent bag that John Wick shoots, Deadpool slashes, and I hit more times than I can count. These are the same guys that invented the freestanding heavy bag. When it comes to innovative martial arts gear, Century is the true OG. Since 1976, accepting nothing less than progress. Go to CenturyMartialArts.com. Don't forget to use my specific discount code to get great deals and let them know that I sent you. When checking out, use discount code BBPOD10. That's BBPOD10. That's, that's one of the, I think that's one of the best things about martial arts is if you can find teachers and training partners who are open-minded and you can come into a place for exploration and discovery and learning with hey let's let's first of all check the ego at the door yes let's let, let, let you know that can't come in that can't otherwise you can't have that environment right you you no it's it's too it's too toxic and and i think it, it takes too much out of the the learning experience yes sir and that that's i, I love you sharing that thank you you know i i want to talk to you also because you're an educator yeah and you're a teacher uh, you're not only a teacher of third third grade by the way my son is in the third grade oh uh, <laughs> so he's in the third grade um and but you're also an educator of martial arts and you're a teacher of teachers and so you've you've spent a lot of time not only sharing and spreading this art and very and one of the key figures responsible for for, for giving it the the light and the exposure um but you're also uh a teacher of teachers developing the next generation of teachers. You're developing the next generation of young minds. 
that's a first of all a very big responsibility and and second of all i'd love to ask you about what makes a good teacher and and in your experience how do we teach better how do we uh you know what are your thoughts on that and how do you develop as a teacher um I think the same way you develop as as you know someone who wants to learn. It's you you become you know a better teacher by understanding that you're learning from every opportunities that you have. Like everybody is different, and so finding ways to to communicate to better understand what people need and how to deliver the message. And it's it, it's like teaching to me is is teaching. It doesn't matter what the field is. So we talk about the world of education. We talk about martial arts. I know that my experience as uh, teaching martial arts helped me be a better teacher because at this experience working with people and the fact that um, you know you 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 have uh, you always have a goal in mind when and and you're trying to find ways to communicate that to people to deliver you know. This is to make them better understand how that will come as a whole. Um, so being open-minded, being willing to learn, uh, keeping in mind that uh, you're always going to be learning a lot from your students. Um, like to me, the best example is, you know, when I came um when I decided to start teaching, you know, at all those, you know, those years of, of, of training and, you know, teaching credentials and master program. Uh, but the best learning experience for me as a teacher was when I was in the classroom, listening to the students explaining mm-hmm. how they were solving a math problem. I love how everybody has a different way to do it. And being exposed to this, where I thought that math was, no, there's a formula. And I'm going to show you on the ball. I'm going to give yeah. you an example with a set of numbers, and you're going to do that. And don't ask why. That's the way to do it. So to me, that's not teaching. That's just delivering a piece of information. Uh, but you know, connecting and putting people in a place where they will uh, uh, be comfortable enough to explain or, or to express the fact that there's something that they're not comfortable with, then should push you as a teacher to think about how can I, you know, change the message that I deliver in the first place for that person to understand it. I love that. I love that. I love how you said it's about listening to how they learn. That's very profound. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's very it's, profound. It's it's fun. Like you, you, you really learn a lot. Um, you know, if, if you give yourself a chance, um, and I, I try to, you know, it's, it's, I go teach somewhere and, you know, I had a plan in mind and then, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm reflecting and I'm like, you know, I think this worked pretty well. Uh, I'm not really happy with this. I, I don't think, um, you know, when I'm looking back at the videos that, you know, they are doing what I thought they were doing at a time. And looking at things with a different eye, you just, you know, pick what you thought worked well and then keep working on the things that you feel didn't work well. So you can, you know, it's the same thing that you do at the gym. It's you just take pieces that you feel like 
you know, I can probably do better there. Uh, and maybe demonstrating was not the best way with that person who's more of a, um, you know, trying type of learner, uh, like, you know, physical learner, or maybe it's, it's this person is not like a visual learner uh, and modeling for him doesn't do it. Mm. It's finding words or, you know, like, like, you know, taking a part of his body and trying to make it, you know, move in a certain way or, um I don't know. I mean, that can be, uh, you know, if the person is afraid of of executing technique because the person that they have in front of them and they're afraid of being hit, it's like, okay, stand back, stand there, close your eyes and, you know, get in tune with your body and try to execute it there and work on your balance that way and work on the extension without having to worry about hitting someone or being hit. Uh, and then you put it back in a different context and, you know, when you try to just move and going from one context to another and to another to another to um, have them delivering that technique in, you know, in the situation you want them to uh, deliver. But understanding that a technique is, you know, it's it's the context, the situation will dictate how you will deliver that technique. Yes, sir. So, you know, you may have a great footy, but if you cannot use this footy in defensive situation, then it's, you only master the technique in one type of situation, is that enough? Well, maybe you can work on that, <laughs> you know, so, instead of keep delivering things, uh, stepping fall, if you have someone stepping fall, it's, you know, step back or step to the side to uh, see if you can make it work that way. I love that. You know, I think I think all, for the listeners listening, it's really important to see the, the intellect that's involved. I mean, you know, martial arts, uh, and especially I love the way you describe it, because this is an intelligent process. It's an intelligent self-discovery process, right? And absolutely. And and and, and to and when you take a look at the greatest martial artists, they they look at their intelligence. Uh, as to how they train, how they approach, how they improve, how they study their opponents. And versus sometimes you can clearly see the difference between those athletes and then the other athletes or martial artists who are just like, I'm just going to do more of exactly what I'm doing because I'm used to it and I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things you mentioned earlier that's so important is that you have to make yourself uncomfortable comfortable in uncomfortable situations and it's through that discomfort when you're slowing the technique down and you're like oh man this is where i'm losing my balance in this stage of the technique i need to work it through that slowing down really helps us to discover the um the the, the flaws you know i think uh, one of guru dan's one of my favorite sayings of his is that speed hides flaws and and if we can uh, absolutely right if we can slow down and be around great partners and be around great teachers. But but I think the best part I love about this conversation is how much fun you have doing it. I mean, it's, you know, I always tell people, um, you know, it's, it's, I have to do things that I like doing. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you, you live your life, like there's no room to work for people you don't like to work for or mm. to work with people you don't like to work with. Um, you know, it's, it's, I have the chance to be in the classroom with kids every single day and That's kids awesome. are magical, <laughs> uh, you know, it, and then like, you have to enjoy what you, what you have. I mean, you know, you, you train in martial art. So, you know, there's this guy, uh, Victor Henry is a UFC fighter 
that I had a chance to work with. Um, you know, I got introduced to him through uh, George Barnett and Eric Paulson. And and he, he told me, and I was like, you know, you professional fighter, sometimes you think professional fighter or like, you know, they're just like banging on each other. They, they, there's no thinking process. He said, you know, we can't forget why we do this for in the first place. It's we got into martial arts because we love what we do. Nice. And don't lose track of this. And that's going to keep, you know, like fostering the, this this love of uh, learning in no matter uh, what situation uh, it is. I love that, man. You know, uh, I really want to thank you for, for coming on the show. And uh, I can't oh, no, I, I, I really I want to have more conversation like this with you. I, yeah, I love it, man. I mean, this is this is what it's about. Just like when we first met a few weeks ago and we're yeah. sitting down and, and we, I think we talked for hours, you know, and, and I know. I, I love it because it's it's really the purpose of this show. The purpose yeah. of this show is that regardless of our styles and our systems, mm -hmm. we are so much more alike than we are different because on the Absolutely. weekends, on weeknights, we're out there kicking, punching, choking, stabbing somebody yeah. with with other people like that. But really, I think the enemy is within that we're beating and finding out who we are and the honest self-expression. And, and I love it. You let it out. You, you got to let it out. And, and I want to really thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Uh, well, it's been I, a great I, honor, I, sir. You know, it's, first of all, I'm honored and humbled to, uh, to be on this uh, platform and, and to have a chance to uh, to speak with you so i can tell you how grateful i am uh, and you know it's it's i think as a like closing uh word is when i look back you know where i came from and you know the chance i had to meet those incredible people through martial arts i'm like i'm i mean it's it's mind-blowing to me <laughs> that you know i, I can still do this and and share and learn from uh from people like like you and having those moments where you know at first when we met i was like so i was uh on the the panel for the hyper pro uh, testing and um and it was from nine to twelve and then you know from twelve to six like there was nothing scheduled i was like what am i gonna do in Hunton beach you know for <laughs> six hours and then you know fireballs told me why don't you come have lunch with us and I was like, wow. <laughs> then it, it's, you know, and met you and Tom and, and Dave and uh, I had such a good time. So, you know, again, it's it's like we have a chance to do something and to meet some pretty extraordinary people. And like, don't be afraid to celebrate those those special moments because those are special. So thank you. Thank you for that so no, much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I got one final question for you. This is the Black Belt Magazine podcast. And so I ask all my guests the same last question is, um, what does a black belt mean to you? So black belt, you know, to me, it means um, that you are at the place where you are responsible to own those skills and to represent what what it's supposed to mean and and you have this responsibility to keep you know training and thinking that it's not the end of the world like you have like it's it's just an extension of the journey like that's definitely like a good uh benchmark for you but it's everything you've done to get there 
just keep enjoying the process and keep doing it and doing it because this is not the end of your uh, of your learning so it can mean whatever you want it to mean i just hope that you know people when they get that level that they set their mind to uh understand that it was great why not keep it going and you know keep applying the same process and the same effort and discipline and uh and you know and and go to the next goal because there's no limit to what people can achieve only the what the, the limits that they say that they set themselves uh with uh, thank you that was a very profound way to end it man that's absolutely uh, perfect hey having no way is way having no limit is limit but can we actually remove the limits and i really thank you very very much for sharing your time wisdom and experience with us oh it's again it was my pleasure and and i can't wait to um you know to to get together with you and so we can do some training and I, there's so many questions that i have about um, you know all you learn from uh, paul Hunak and and daniel duby uh just like uh, sabbat alone i mean i think it's 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 amazing and i can't wait for for that to happen yo me too man i'm i'm i'm, I'm absolutely thrilled i can't i can't wait myself but thank you so much sir thank you oh thank you so much as martial artists wherever you go Everyone is a little bit safer because you are there. Wherever you are, anyone in need has a friend. And when you return home, they're happy to see you because it's a good life. Follow us on all major podcast platforms. Like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, my friends.